My main announcement, though, is that this year is dedicated in memory of Dr. Chuck Feldman uh, by annual. I hope we can do this for a long time. Um, Eddie and Batya Jacobs. And uh, I, rem- I, I, you know, I, I spoke about it in the past, but I just want to remind you that I met um, the Feldman family as I met most of the people that I know through their sons who were Talmudim in the yeshiva. Daniel, who is here tonight. What? This is Daniel right here. You didn't believe me, right? So, um, Dr. Feldman was a Kronelik was a you know, remarkable person who uh, had a tremendous effect on the community, especially that he lived in. And he got things done in spite of the fact that he was really a very nice person. <laughs> which in our world, uh, qualities that don't always go together. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that people who are not nice people must really getting it done because we get confused about that. But Dr. Feldman, who was an allergist, allergist, right, and was beloved by his patients as well as by, by the community, not all of which were his patients, I suppose, and who had that determining effect in building the shul in the neighborhood, the school, uh, fresh, uh, but just you know, a remarkable, remarkable. So it's an honor for me to be able to give this shayur, which tonight is Hanukkah. Tonight is Hanukkah. Uh, so I'm going to wing it. But the advantage is that I won't have to read the text that I can't, I can't see. It's not such a uh, great uh, disadvantage. Hanukkah, Hanukkah, Hanukkah has two primary motifs as far as we're concerned. One is the miracle of the candles, and the other, the other is the the war in which we were victorious through a variety of smaller miracles or side miracles. This. Uh, double-valued uh, statement about Hanukkah is contained in Al-Hanisim. The paragraph that we say commemorating Hanukkah when we daven Shmon Ezra and when we say Berkat Hamazon. These two, these two ideas are always, are ever-present. And we will always ask ourselves, we can always ask ourselves, well, who wins? Well, what's really Hanukkah? What's the... What? I don't have it, but I think we have it. It's recording? Yeah, here's a sheet if you want it. (laughs) What a world. (laughs) Now, can I get one of these built into my head? (laughs) It turns off all the time. Wow. So anyway, so you understand. You could ask, you have to ask yourself, what's Hanukkah? That's what the Gemara asked. My Hanukkah. The Gemara said, well, what, is it the candles? Or is it the battle? Now, you know, uh, in the state of Israel, this is a real question because Hanukkah is one of those 
is a holiday that everybody participates in. It doesn't matter what your political affiliation is or the kind of yarmulke you wear. Hanukkah is your holiday in Israel. And that's partially because of the fact that the children don't go to school. So it must be a holiday. Now all these children, and all, all, all the parents of all these children, have to answer that question. What is Hanukkah? So if you're more into, uh, you know, the young, feisty state of Israel, and you say, well, it was a war. The few defeated the many. Okay, that's us. We're the few. And so far we've defeated the many. No guarantee, but so far so good. Uh, other kinds of people, people are not so interested in going to the army. There are a few people like that as well in the, in the state of Israel. They might say, oh, you like light. Light is so nice. It represents everything wonderful that you could imagine. You like lights for eight days. The fact that you do something for eight days on Hanukkah seems to turn the tide in favor of the candles. Because everybody understands that the eight days have nothing to do with the war. I mean, they didn't fight a war for eight days. And, and there's no reason to celebrate the victory of a war for eight days. I mean, that's, you know, kind of strange. So the eight days does relate clearly to the oil. They didn't have enough oil. They went to get the oil. The whole thing took them eight days. And then there was another miracle because the oil that they had lasted for eight days. So it would seem that the eight days indicate that the eight days indicate that the candles... I, I can't do it. I'm too old. If I was younger, I could look here and look there. So, thank you anyway. Uh, so the eight days seem to indicate that what Hanukkah is, an eight-day festival, the eight-day festival, as was explained over the years, the over the years means like for the last 2,100 years, explained that every day was a new miracle because somehow the oil, uh, uh, which was supposed to last for one day, lasted for eight days, and so you divided it up. If, for example, you divide one part, you divided the, eight, the oil into eight parts, so each day you had a little bit of oil and it burned for a long time, so every day there was a miracle. So it seems, you can make an argument, you can make an argument for the oil, the miracle, the candles, being the essence of Hanukkah. It seems to me, it seems to me that the reasonable explanation for this double valency candles on the one hand and war on the other hand, is that it's easy enough to make a mistake about war. Because over the period, over the period of the last thousands of years, there have been many wars in many places. And somebody always wins. Somebody always wins. And the winner is not always the righteous, the just, the good, the positive. But there's always a winner. What distinguished the war that the Maccabin uh, waged against the Greek was the fact that the candles were lit. The fact that the Jewish people wanted to light the candles, that was a miracle. That was a miracle. I mean, what are they, that's all you're worried about? You know, when you finish, when you finish fighting the war, you celebrate light candles in the Beit HaMikdash that's a miracle that's a miracle 
And that miracle, that miracle received like topping, ISIS, a total irrelevancy. If you have to understand irrelevancy, what difference does it make if the candles burn for eight days straight away or they had to wait for eight days to get the oil from who knows where and then they would light the oil. But what difference does it make? The whole point, however, is that the Jews wanted to light the, the candles. That's the point. They wanted light to come from the base of Mikdash. So what difference does it make? Right? What difference does it make if it lasted eight days or it didn't last eight days? For the eight days. Then I'm on a roll now. <laughs> I'm not really a teacher. I like more to entertain. <laughs> so, you know, my teachers always want to draw the students in. I want to keep them away. <laughs> the point is that God joined in the celebration of the of the oil. It didn't make any difference, you understand. What do you do if you don't have oil for the base of Mikdash? Well, you go and get some. And if it takes you eight days, it takes you eight days. I mean, what was the point? What I understand. The miracle of the war. I understand there's a point. But what difference does it make to heaven if the candles are lit every day? Or you have a hiatus and you have to wait. Well, the difference is that heaven joined in. That was the remarkable thing about Hanukkah. Hanukkah was not just a miracle. The Rambam says, the Rambam says, miracles that took place for the Jewish people after they left Mitzrayim, if they left Egypt on the way to Eretz Yisrael, he says, those miracles were about needs that they had. They needed water, they needed meat, they needed direction. So there were miracles that took place. That's the Rambam. The Rambam doesn't see much point in a miracle. There's no point to it. You know, an obvious miracle. What difference does it make? But the Rambam says sometimes God feels that there's a need that has to be filled. It fills it with a miracle. Hanukkah, it wasn't a need. It was simply heaven joining the celebration. Heaven joined the celebration. The oil lasts for eight days, so the holiday is a holiday in which we win the war, but we kind of join with God to thank the, the heaven for the result. So in this, in this conflict that we have in our minds between the war and the miracle, it seems to me that the resolution is obvious. But there is one more idea that has to be fleshed out. And that is the report in the Sefer Chashmonaim about this holiday called Hanukkah. The Sefer Chashmonaim, which in English is sometimes called Maccabees, I think. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. See that? The Sefer Chashmonaim which is uh, a book written after Hanukkah. Hanukkah took place approximately 165 BCE. Sefer Hashemun is written sometime after that. It is part of a group of books that are today called Apocrypha. And in Hebrew we say, Svarim Chitzonim. 
chitzonim meaning that they were not included in the Tanakh. They weren't. This was a right wing. Uh, a what? Chitzonim. These were right wings. Not chitzonim. Chitzonim outside. They were. They were the books left out. <laughs> left out. I see you. You live in Israel. You think about certain topics all the time. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, that were not included in the Tanakh but not they were not books that were rejected by the Jewish people they were accepted but they were not included in the Tanakh the reason that they are not included they would say I haven't got a clue but I'm going to tell you what I think because why not but just remember that I have no verification for this the Tanakh consists of books that were written um, uh, with uh, prophecy. The people who wrote those books, or who were assumed to have written those books, were people who had the power of prophecy. There were other books, very good books, very important books, that were not written by prophets, were just written by good people, and good teachers. They were not included. They were, uh, they were chitzonim. They were the outside books. The books that were not Included. The proof of this is that one of the apocryphal books is called Ben Sira. It's the name of somebody. Ben Sira. Uh, ben Sira is a book that is very similar to Mishle. It's like it's like Mishle. It has like a lot of short directives. You want to do the right thing? Do this. You want to do the right thing? Do that. That's Ben Sira. Now, in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, in the last chapter of Sanhedrin, which we call Chelek, Perik Chelek, it's the, 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 the Perik that discusses the next world and the Mashiach and good guys and bad guys, and all. It's a very interesting, very interesting uh, chapter. Unfortunately, it's the 10th in Sanhedrin. Nobody ever gets up to that. <laughs> but even sometimes, you know, if you have, uh, like, uh, inter- interested in an interesting uh, uh, subject, to try uh, the last chapter of Sanhedrin. Now, in that chapter in Sanhedrin, the Chachamim quotes Ben Sira again and again and again. I mean, it means they knew it by heart. Right? They didn't have computers. They knew Ben Sira by heart. That Ben Sira is one of the Sfarim Chitzonim. It was not included in the, in, the, in the Tanakh, but that doesn't mean that it was a bad book. But what it does mean is that we have no original copy of Ben Sirah in Hebrew. We only have the Sfarim Chitzonim in Greek. It's true that Yadin, I think, discovered in one of those picture books that he put out uh, fragments, parts of uh, Ben Sirah. But generally speaking, what I say is true nonetheless. You know, they're always footnotes to everything anybody says. But generally speaking, the Sarim we have in Greek, we don't have them in Hebrew. In modern times, um, the Sarim were translated from Greek into Hebrew, into modern Hebrew. The name of the person who was associated with that enterprise, Aleph Kahana. Aleph Kahana is a little street near the there's a little street near the Atid office. That's where I know. <laughs> I know about Avram Kahana. So in that in that group of books, in the Sarvashit Shodim, there's the Sefer Ha Makabim. 
Sefer Makabim, which consists of four parts, like, you know, the Re'erim, the Zalaf, and Bet. And Sefer Makabim, the Zalaf, Bet, and Gimel, and Dal. Sefer Makabim, Aleph, and Bet is the story of Hanukkah. In the story of Hanukkah, gets up to the, 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 he's telling the story. He's telling the story, he gets up to the critical part in the story. And he says, it's all about the Mizbeach. It's all about the altar in the Beit HaMikdash. The Greeks defiled the Beit HaMikdash. And they defiled the altar. The altar. And what the people did, what the people did was they took the altar apart. I mean, it's a halacha. They took the altar apart. They saved the pieces. You're not allowed to throw out anything. The halacha is if there's a stone in the Beit HaMikdash, right, in the floor of the Beit HaMikdash, or the wall around the Beit HaMikdash, the stone cracks. So you take it out, and you put in a new stone. But you can't throw away the old stone. The old stone retains what in the, the halacha is called Kedushah. Kedushah, which means whatever it means. It usually means that there's some halachic limit to what you can do with it, how you can treat it, or how you have to treat it. So they took the Mizbeach apart, and they rebuilt it. Right, the Mizbeach was built with uh, stone and earth, right, it was very big. According to the Rambam by Cheney, we're talking about by, uh, I'm sorry, by Rishon, when Shlomo Melch built the altar, it was 10 meters high. 10 meters high? It's higher than this, right? About? Mm-hmm. Like this, the ceiling, I mean, is it 10 meters high? Mm-hmm. Off the ground? What? Mm-hmm. Okay, good, we can talk about it, right? I said, I've got an opinion. So, so, uh, 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 like that's how the Mizbeach was. And you know, there was this canvas, a big ramp, and the Kohanim would go off the ramp to get onto the Mizbeach. So it was like a big a thing. It was like a big thing to, to rebuild. So the Sefer Magabim says, what they did was, what the Hashmonaim did, when they went into the Beit HaMikdash, was they saw that the Mizbeach, that the altar had been defiled, and then they took the altar apart, and they rebuilt it, and they had a party. And that party is called Hanukkah HaMizbeah. And the first time in history that there was a Hanukkah, a Hanukkah means a dedication. You know, when you take the bottle of champagne and you smash it, for some reason that I can never understand, you know, like, uh, it seems like a waste of champagne. You break the bottle over the ship and you dedicated it. So there was Hanukkah Mizbeach. Hanukkah Mizbeach is described in the Mishkan, in the desert with Moshe Rabbeinu, in the end of the parish of Naso. Bamidbar Naso Bahalotcha. Right? Bamidbar Naso Bahalotcha. In the desert. And it took place around Kislev, even though the Mishkan was put up in Nisan. But the Mizbeach was already built in Kislev. And it says in the Chumash that all of the Nisi'im, all of the Nisi'im came and they offered sacrifices and in that way they dedicated the Mizbeach. So it turns out that there's a contradiction between what the story that is told in Sefer HaMakabim where the main story of Hanukkah is about the Mizbeach, about building the Mizbeach, and the story told by the Chachamim, 
which comes from a also a, a, a work, a Latanaitic work called Megillat Ta'anit, which is a collection of all the days during the year when you're not allowed to fast. Ta'anit is a fast. Megillat Ta'anit, the book of the fast. It means the books of the days that you're not supposed to fast. Because something good happened. Some joyous occasion took place. And one of the joyous occasions is Hanukkah. A Hanukkah, you're not supposed to fast. It doesn't say you should eat uh, greasy food, but it says you shouldn't fast. And, and, uh, um, and the reason is, the reason in my Hanukkah, right, this question is asked, it's in the Gemara, but because of the Gilatani, my Hanukkah, my Hanukkah means, what was the celebration about? And the Gemara says that the celebration was about the candles and or the, the victory of, uh, uh, during the war, right? That was what happened. That's what happened in uh, Hanukkah. Begilat, the Seyber Chashmon Ha'im, the Seyber Chashmon Ha'im says, no, it was the Mizbeach. It was the altar that they built. The altar they built. And the question, uh, is assuming that both of these sources are telling the truth. Right? And that we shouldn't think that Seyber Makabim is some kind of second-rate uh, a truth speaker because it's not part of the Tanakh. I don't think that's true. You may remember that there is no record of Hanukkah. There is, there is no holy book that relates to Hanukkah, right? As there is for Purim. Purim is a holiday that is written down in Torah Shebikhtar, Megillat Esther, Torah Shebikhtar. Hanukkah doesn't have it. That's the subject of a lot of uh, thinking in, in modern times, right? The people who think about questions of that kind try to, try to understand why it is that Purim is a Torah Shabbat holiday, and Hanukkah is a Torah Shabbat holiday. But Torah Shabbat holiday doesn't mean that the information that you get in Sefer Makabim is incorrect, is wrong, is unacceptable, right? So I like to solve this problem and try to understand why it is that even though there was probably a celebration about building the Mizbeach, and even though this had a tremendously positive effect on the people who were there, at the time, the Maccabim and the army that fought with them. Nevertheless, it's totally downplayed. It's totally downplayed in the, in the Chazal presentation of Hanukkah. So I have to remind you of one more thing. Right, Nosso. Remember Nosso? That's the parsha. the end of that parsha discusses the Nesim, the, the leaders of each tribe, who brought korbanot representing their tribe, and they brought all these korbanot as a way of dedicating the Mizbeach. The parasha after Baha'alot is called Baha'alotcha. Baha'alotcha is addressed to Aaron, the brother of Moshe Rabbeinu, who was to be, or who was, the Kohen Gadol in this Mishkan, in the tabernacle, that was being built for Am Yisrael. Right? You have the picture? So, uh, the parasha of Al-Otcha begins, Al-Otcha Ad-Neirot, Al-Mulpanei Ha-Menorah, Ta'ir Shivat Ha-Yair Shad Ad-Neirot. What does that mean? I mean, like God says to, to uh, like, you know, in media, rest. Like, it's okay, out of nowhere. He says to Aaron, Aaron, you're going to light the candles. Why is he come to light the candles? The candles are discussed elsewhere in the Torah. What is he talking about candles? 
And what we just had finished was the 12 tribes, the 12 uh, uh, leaders, chiefs of the 12 tribes, just brought all the korbanot, and God says to Aaron Akoin, Balochata, they wrote. It's a kind of a non sequitur, so the Ramban says the following. Oh, and then, uh, and then Rashi, I'm sorry. Go back. Rashi says about Balot wrote that Aaron Akoin fainted, was filled with grief about what he saw, and God said to him, Balot wrote. So the question is, what grief? Why did Aaron have grief? So the measures that Rashi quotes is, well, Aaron saw the code that, that they see him bringing all these carbonos that he was kind of left out. So everybody says, what did he left out? The Kohanim are, they bring the korban. Anyone who brings a korban needs the Kohen to help him. What's he left out about? He's not left out anything. And so God set out to pacify him, to mollify him, to say something to him that will make him feel. But what was it that he was so unhappy about? The Ramban at the end of the parasha of Naso. It's a good one. You should look at it. I keep saying this even though I'm not optimistic. But you should look at it. The last Ramban asked the following question. He says, what is this business that the Nisim brought this large variety of sacrifices in order to do Hanukkah on his Amongst those sacrifices that they brought was a chatat and an asham. Chatat and asham are the same. They are sin offerings. You know why they have different names is, a, is an interesting question. But, but some, some sins, the sacrifice is called a chatat, and for some sins the sacrifice is called an asham. But they are both sin offerings. So the Rabban said, how can you bring a chatat as a gift? In the, in, to the, to the Mizbeach. It doesn't make any sense. Because Chathat is only brought by people who sinned. But these Nisi'im, they didn't sin. They're, they're, they're having a party. They're having a wonderful time. They're bringing all of the korbanot that apply to the Mizbeach. How could they bring a Chathat and an Asha? The Rabban says, this is an example of where the uh, people redefine the Torah. I'm not talking about anything in modernity. Don't quote me. But this is the Ramban. The Ramban says that there are times when the people redefine the Torah as though God said to the Kohanim, bring all the Korbanot you can bring legitimately. And the Koha and the priest and the Nisi'im said, we want to bring also uh, a sham and a chatat. We didn't sin, but we want to bring every single korban that is brought. That will really make the dedication special. And you know what the Ramban says? He says, this idea was accepted by heaven and became part of the Torah. How do I know that? Because it was true in the dedication of Shlomo HaMelech, which Shlomo HaMelech dedicated uh, 
his by Bishon, and when Ezra dedicated by Cheney, they did the same thing. They did the same thing. So the Ramban said, the Ramban said, the Kohanim invented the Torah of Chanukat HaMizbeh. They invented it. They weren't directed to it. They intuited it. They did what they felt they should do and received somehow the approval of heaven. It's not a small thing. You know that Nadav Avihu, the sons of Aaron, also did something similar. They did something. They wanted to come closer to God. And so they did something that was not regular. It wasn't acceptable. And they were killed. But the Nisi'im, they said to God, we want the Chanukat HaMizbeach to be this way. And they received divine approval. Rather, a miracle. So the Ramban said, you know why Aaron Akohen fainted? It wasn't because he wasn't involved. It wasn't because he didn't have something to do when the, when the Nisiyan brought this Korbanot. Aaron Akohen fainted because he understood that the priests created Torah and that he, Aaron Akohen, had never had that opportunity. Yes, he was in the Beit HaMikdash. Yes, he was close to God. Yes, on Yom HaKippurim he went into the Kodesh Kodeshim, but he did everything according to the rules. He never deviated. And he never produced a deviation that was accepted by the Torah as being the method of uh, keeping, uh, doing Hanukkah HaMizbeh. So Hanukkah HaMizbeh was invented by the Nisiyim, by these presidents of the various tribes. Aaron HaKohen fainted because he realized that this glorious moment was denied him. He would never get it. Moshe Rabbeinu gave the Torah, the Nisiyim added something to the Torah, and Aaron HaKohen was just a functionary. He worked for the Torah. Oh, it's a great honor to work for the Torah, but looking around, he couldn't understand why he was not able to do what they had done. And so the Medrash says, quoted in the Ramban, I quoted in the Ramban, it's all there. I'm telling you what it says. Right? Shelcha Gidola Mishalahem. Shelcha Gidola Mishalahem. You're going to get more than they are going to get, than they got. Because they, they, determined Chanukat HaMizbeach. But in order to have Chanukat HaMizbeach, you have to build the Beit HaMikdash. And Jewish history is going to be filled with ages upon ages and times when there's not going to be a Beit HaMikdash. And we're there, we're there enterprise, we're irrelevant. Their Chanukat HaMizbeach be irrelevant. But you... Your children are going to bring the light of the Beit HaMikdash into the home. And every year, the light of the Beit HaMikdash will be lit in every home in Amis, of Am Yisrael. That's you. You, Aaron Akon, are going to get that. That's your uh, uh, 
because Aaron Akolin was the one by Lokata they wrote who was charged with lighting the candles of the Beit HaMikdash and therefore the victory of the his children or Kohanim, right? Hashmonaim, Hashmonaim, Kohanim that victory is going to bring the light of the Beit HaMikdash forever into into the homes of Am Yisrael. You know that the light of the candles that you light even though their purpose may be pursuing Misa, like you want everybody to know what happened, you want everybody to know what happened on Chanukah, but you also know that they have Kedusha. These kids have Kedusha, and the Gemara says, you can't count uh, the coins using the light of the menorah. What do you mean? Why not? Why can't you count the coins using the light of the menorah? If the light of the menorah is there in order to perform Pesume Nisa, what difference, pray, does it matter, does it make if you count something, you look at something, you look at the newspaper, you see what it says, I mean, what's the difference? What's the Naskimina? He says, there's no Naskimina. There's no difference. The only thing is that they are the candles of the Beit HaMikdash. And since they are the candles of the Beit HaMikdash, since they are those candles in everybody's house, you have to treat them like the candles of the Beit HaMikdash. Just the candles of the Beit HaMikdash could not be used for any purpose. You know that the candles were lit at night, and they lit, they were, they remained lit until, until the morning. They were lit at night, they remained lit until the morning, and there was nobody there. There was nobody there, it was only light. The light came through the windows of the Beit HaMikdash, and you know how light is. I mean, for those of you who know physics, and those of you who don't know physics, everybody knows that light is special. Right? It doesn't matter if you can exactly verbalize what's special about it, but it's very special. And it just goes on forever. And it came out of the windows of the Beit HaMikdash. is a well-known Sichar of the Babashi Rebbe explaining why the windows were Shkufim Atumim. You know, they were narrow on the inside, and wide on the outside, like Taggart forts, like the windows in Taggart forts, of which there are many in Israel. That's why I mention it. If you like, have never seen the Taggart fort, you have every opportunity. Narrow on the inside and wide on the outside. So that when you shoot the arrows, we shoot. Yeah, you have that crossbow, and you shoot the arrows. That the chances of getting shot back are very, very, very small. Right? Very greatly minimized. So. So, the Ramban seems to indicate that if the Nerot of Chanukah are promised to Aaron Akoel, and if we would divide everything in the world up into Doraita and the Rabbanan, but let's say, what's in the Torah? And what's not in the Torah? So you could make an argument to say that the light that started on Hanukkah, it started on Hanukkah time and it continued until our time, but that light and those candles are lit midoraita midoraita meaning it's a biblical, it's biblical biblically predicted it says it, according to the Rabbah right, it says it in the Torah that Aaron is going to light the light so it turns out <coughs> turns out according to the Rabbah that if you had to compare the Chanukata Mizbeach to the lighting of the lights, the lights that you light on Hanukkah according to the Rambana, not only in memory of the fact that they had oil, they didn't have oil, they came, it's not only that. It's the light of the Beit HaMikdash. 
it's somehow reordering the world of the Beit HaMikdash to enable the light to be present one week, or eight days, a year, every, every single year. And so Chazal, I would argue, that Chazal knew very well what the Sefer Chashmonaim said. I knew very well that there was a Simcha at that time, after the war, that resulted from the rebuilding of the Mizbeach. And that that Simcha was, was notable. It was notable kind of a Simcha because it imitated to some extent what happened with the Nesiim in the Mizbah. But when Chazak sat down to try to understand where the essential nature of things is contained, like what is it really that we have to celebrate on Hanukkah, their conclusion was, their conclusion was that it was the light. The light that came from the Beit HaMikdash through the action of the the Kohanim, right, the Chashmonaim, into every single home, every single home in, in Israel, through all, the, through all the generations. And it's interesting also, that even though the Jewish people suffered persecution for being Jewish, in many of those uh, eras, many of those, uh, those years and times, the Jewish people suffered various kinds of persecution and they could have legitimately, I think, decided not to light the candles. Why should they suffer because they're lighting candles? They didn't they never made that decision. They moved the candles to the window. They moved them indoors. They did it late at night, early in the morning, when people were not so aware, but they never stopped lighting the candles. So as the Rambam says you can add to the Rambam. The Rambam says, at the end of time, at the end of time, the Beit HaMikdash will be re- uh, uh, rebuilt. And the light will come, the light will come out of, of the Beit HaMikdash as well. To which we add. And until that time, the light is with every single one of us. And it's certainly uh, nice to see in Yerushalayim. You know, in the Chutzlar, it's Unless you're in a very Jewish neighborhood, you kind of see lonely candelabra here and there. And it doesn't always make you feel wonderful by the Yerushalayim. It really is a nice feeling to see that many, many people think that lighting the lights on Hanukkah is a very important thing. So that the message, the message is that yes, there was a Mizbeach. And yes, there was Hanukkah a Mizbeach. But the celebration of Hanukkah is about the light that was promised to Aaron Akoin in the parish of Baalotcha after the Nisim, after the Nisim created a celebration of the Mizbeach. God told Aaron Akoin, Shalchag Mishalahem, yours is greater still than theirs because you're going to bring the light of Beit HaMikdash permanently into every, every Jewish home. Chaz Urim Sameach. There are might be interesting about it. I've seen it everywhere. One of our sons in law is Kabarnik, and he goes to play. Two. Well, no. Well, yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
so he drinks hardly so I think he goes back just a few American some of the years ago. There's a restaurant up in the living up in the north that sells Khazir. He had the courage to go in there and bring a Hanukkah up. And they had one burning already. So, I mean, and that's reality. In fact, you joke, you know, on Pesach, you have the best hammer and eggs that are in there. But I mean, that's a reality. They have Hanukkah, burning is a restaurant that is serving Khazir. Look at that, sir. The Chabad is like a tsunami. It's going to overwhelm everything. So why should they overwhelm the trade restaurant? What about the Gemara that talks about other Rishon becoming afraid uh, increasingly as the winter came along and the days get shorter and shorter and um, and, and therefore he, uh, he I'm not sure how this, he likes a light or he uh, he has some sort of festival rights or something like this, and perhaps that's also alluded to in this by, by this midrash. That is, people, you know, the winter gets goes on and on, but the always goes on and on, and people are the winter solstice, right? Yeah, at the time the winter solstice, and the goddess goes on and on, which is considered to be like winter, and uh, you know, at the peak of it. You know, at, at, at the coldest and the, and, and the shortest day period, we like we have Hanukkah to remind us that there, that even though it looks like those will never end, it isn't true. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come to your shir. <laughs> Did you want to mention Rabbi Nachman? What? Rabbi Nachman. Okay. I. I originally attended, you know, can't get away with anything. I originally intended to add on uh, a statement, something to Rabbi Nachman, but I always think I have to read Rabbi Nachman. But I will, I will summarize a point that Rabbi Nachman made uh, that he said, why, why is it called Chanukat HaMizbeach? That's what uh, Zirat Dachman was uh, curious about. And he said, Chalukat HaMizbeach is, is like really like a new start. It starts everything over again. Like Yom Kippur is like a new start. And that uh, it, it represents the opposite of the Churban, of destruction. So that's what Chanukah Amizbeach is, and that's why all the Nisiim representing Am Yisrael wanted to participate in this uh, in, the, in this Mizbeach, in being in the Chanukah Amizbeach. I mean, you know, there's nothing. It will take you. taking some time to. So I'm sorry. Next year. <laughs> yes. I'm oh, sorry. Yes. The miracle of the war, which worked is the miracle of the war and the miracle of the oil. It's the same. Maybe I'm thinking simplistic. Since they hadn't had the war, would they have had to pay Hamikdash to do the oil to do the whole thing? He asked me as a thoughtful person, or is it a son? I mean, obviously the Mechashmonaim who came from Modi'in, which at that that time was not as well established a place as it is today <laughs> were not able, I mean the good guys were not able to go to the Beit HaMikdash because it was largely controlled by the bad guys so there was a Beit HaMikdash but it was 
not what it should be. And so that uh, the war enabled the Beit HaMikdash to be reconstituted as it once was. Um, I don't know how long that lasted. It didn't last very long. In other words, from the time of the of the Macca, Maccabean revolt until the time of Churban uh, Beit HaMikdash uh, were about 200 years. That's what the Rambam says. There were about 200 years. But during those 200 years, most of them were bad years. They weren't good years for the Jews, even though there was Jewish leadership of some sort, but it wasn't Torah Jewish leadership. It was uh, so that, that the event of Hanukkah Mizbeach and Hanukkah Mishkan and the miracle of the Ken was very short-lived. It nevertheless determined the way we think about ourselves. And that's, uh, you know, that's the importance of it. The importance is not that it changed the world in historical terms. The importance is that it changed the world for us. That we think about ourselves differently. And somehow, even all the, all the years of the diaspora, we saw ourselves as representing life. It doesn't mean that every Jew was a good person. I don't mean to say that, but there's like a collective memory that we have that says, you know, you should learn Torah, you should act in according, and you should maintain high standards. And even though there are devious... 25% of the Nobel Prize. 25% of... Yeah, okay. You know, that you include that, you include that, fine. You know, but the trouble is that now the Chinese are going to make all those, get all those prizes. So, you know, I don't know if that's... Uh, I think the fact that uh, that the Jewish people were able to like maintain dreams, like the dream of Eretz Yisrael and the dream of the Beit Hamikdash, and the dream that it'll all be straightened out somehow, but that's a remarkable thing in itself. I mean, sometimes it it may be a sign of uh, of some kind of madness, but it's not. I think that it's like it's the life force for a lot of people. It keeps you. It keeps you going and it keeps you doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah? So I wanted to go back to the Hallel Khan. The what? The Hallel Khan. The Torah. The what? The Torah. The Hallel Khan. Oh, the Hallel Khan. Sorry, the Hallel Khan. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, I can't see, I can't hear. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs> when did Nadav and Abidu die? And. Um, it was after, after the after the Mishkan. No, it was later. They died later. They died. They died. Because there was a prophetic thing that they died. They died. They died. Oh, the Davina view. The Davina view wanted to do something that you could only do if you're very close to God. That is to take the incense uh, and go into the Kodesh Kadashim with it. But they, they didn't receive permission to do that and were killed, died on the spot. The, the, the Siyin did something also that they had, didn't have permission to do, but they were praised for it. Right? They were praised for doing something that recreated the way the Torah wants us to dedicate the Mizbeach. That was the difference. That was the is an 
then he had to go up and light the menorah. Correct? Was yes, that? yes. And when he fainted, his fainting was after they had died. Ah, no, 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 no. They died later. They died. Even though it's reported earlier in the Torah, they died later. I told you this was Kislev. Kislev before Nisan. In Nisan, the Mishnah was established. And therefore, Nadav Avil came after that. But this, the Chanukat on his bed, came before that. And somehow thought it was all very not kind of I don't. Uh, I don't think so. Thank you for the way I told you. Yes. Why is it without a sheet? Because so many people want to ask questions <laughs> <laughs> or say something. Not to ask questions. You know, it's interesting that you're speaking about the Hanukkah Hanukkah. Usually, a rabbi will speak about the Pachshemin as the you know the uh, cause of the whole Hanukkah Hanukkah. So it's very interesting. Oh, I missed the beginning. Oh. Oh. Uh, did, did you miss the beginning? Yes. Oh, it was good. That's not serious? <laughs> 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 How can I be more serious? <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for coming. I want to just stress again that this year was given in honor of, in the memory of, uh, Dr. Charles Feldman by Batya and Eddie and all of their various family members. Uh, it was an honor for me to do it. I wish you all well. Happy Thanksgiving.